0: Well, Greetings, brethren. Wonderful to see such a full house. I echo Pastor Murray's welcome to our guests and uh, also uh, glad to see you again, Larry. We missed you. And uh, hopefully we have our brethren online back with us again. I wasn't sure. uh, Last week it was the first time we were broadcasting on the Rumble platform and uh, fortunately everybody made it over. I thought we might lose some people. I think we actually gained uh, quite a few people. So uh, thank you for all of those online. And hopefully we did everything correctly this week and you've made it over. In fact, um, for Wednesday night Bible studies now, uh, we will be on the Rumble platform and I think we're going to drop YouTube. I want to begin today with an article from Italy. The headline reads, Italian woman found dead, seated at table in mummified state. The discovery of the 70-year-old's remains years after she died prompts calls for better care for older people in Italy. Police stumbled upon Marinella Beretta's remains when they made a house call during high winds in Lombardy. Her neighbors, who had not seen Beretta since September 2019, Assume she had moved away at the start of the coronavirus pandemic which hit northern Italy, Italy in early 2020. Police found nothing at the scene to suggest foul play and the council was expected to pay for her funeral and burial. Italian police, uh, actually let me drop that. Nearly 40%, just something I read already. Nearly 40% of over 75-year-olds in Italy live alone. So 40%, over 40%, if you're over 75, you're in Italy, likely living alone, according to their National Statistics Institute. The same number also said they had neither relatives nor friends to turn to in case of need. Beretta was loneliness personified, wrote the journalist Massimo Grammelini on the front page of the major, biggest-selling daily, many of us still have memories of the chaotic, branched families of peasant Italy. Instead, the modern family is reduced. People die alone. And we live alone, which is almost worse. In part one of this series, I mentioned that we are suffering from a pandemic of loneliness and that loneliness was one of the key prerequisites for mass formation psychosis. That we now live in a society that wants you to be alone, wants me to be alone, wants to atomize us, separate us from each other. And in so doing, we become vulnerable to mass formation. We're no longer sure if our ideas are sound. Everybody else, there seems to be one narrative, and everybody else seems to be agreeing with that narrative. I must be the crazy one. But if we can be together, if we can be in families, if we can be in congregations, if we can be each other's sounding boards, then we can realize, no, I'm not crazy. We sort of thought through this together. We talked through this together. And I've been able to come to a sound judgment. But society wants you alone. Live alone, die alone. And unfortunately through this pandemic, we've had many elderly people cut off, completely cut off from their family, to spend their final moments completely alone. This is our society today. For me, a major red flag of any organization, Or any system or society, is how much does it honor the family? So, those of you who might be online, if you belong to an organization, a church organization, that is encouraging you to separate from your family, red flag. Red flag. We encourage family, we need strong families. In fact, I think a blessing of the Burlington congregation was it began with three strong families. And we did all we could to be strong as families individually and then strong as a family of families. And that set the the tone and the culture for our congregation. And now we are a congregational family. Free to talk about anything. Free to share with each other our perspectives on how our world is changing. And free to build bonds with one another. And we certainly appreciate that the pandemic has been um, a blessing in a surprising way that we've been able to connect with many online that we would have never known about, and they would have never known about us. But as a result of the lockdowns and having to go online, we've made connections with a lot of brethren online and appreciate, in fact, this week I got a beautiful letter with a poem enclosed, uh, handwritten from a brother in our online community. Every week I receive emails, and in total encouragement for this series, I think all of us understand what we're up against with these vaccine mandates, and last week, I acknowledged the Convoy Freedom 2022. These are natural human beings who are demonstrating a profound example of unity of courage, of commitment. Something that all of us in the body of Christ would do well to take note of. Do we have the level of commitment of these natural people? They don't have the Holy Spirit. Maybe there's a few that do. But as a a mass, these are natural people who've said to their government, you've gone too far. You've gone too far. And now do your worst, we're not budging. We don't care what you do to us. Now we're thinking of our children and our children's children. And so their example poses the question, if they, on a natural level, can be so courageous and so committed to their cause... What about us, imbued with the Holy Spirit? What is the level of our commitment? What is our ability to withstand inconvenience, to be in minus degree temperature, have the government take away your gas cans, knowing that you're with your children, hoping you'll freeze to death. And that'll, be, that'll frighten others. And yet they won't budge. We say, thank you, truckers. Thank you, protesters, who are lawfully protesting and being characterized as white supremacists and Nazis. And all of this is a preview of what we're up against. You know, The, the, the curtain has opened, and we see the man behind the curtain. and and to what extent they will go to, to advance their agenda. In part one, I opened with Proverbs 18 and verse 24. And I quoted it from the complete Jewish Bible. I thought their translation of the Hebrew was actually more accurate. And in the complete Jewish Bible, it reads, some friends pretend to be friends but a true friend sticks closer than a brother a true friend sticks closer than a brother and what I set up for last week was using the example of the convoy 2022 as inspiration for us to exceed that level of commitment to exceed that level of courage And to do that using this gift that we have of the observance of the Passover. That the proper observance of the Passover is going to inspire in us commitment that far exceeds what we see in the natural man. Courage that far exceeds what we see in the natural man. And to do this in small groups is going to build a loyalty and a depth of friendship that goes beyond the natural man. And I do want to mention at the outset here, just an aside, as this tragic figure, it's unfortunate, this woman, Marinella Beretta, who just died, sitting at her chair, probably in the kitchen, and nobody knew for two years. It's not until there were these high winds, and it looked like a tree might fall, and and it's on her property that they then decided they would do something about it because their lives were in danger and she just sat there died and became mummified we can't have this and and we need to be in small groups in congregations where we're building bonds not only that we need to know that we're going to die and our loved ones should know our wishes We recently had a brother, not long in the faith, who died suddenly, unexpectedly. And when I read his obituary, it broke my heart. His family put a picture of him observing Christmas and said nothing about the church or his beliefs. And and obviously they're doing their best. But he didn't make his wishes known. We're here to turn many to righteousness. And until the day we die, our last breath, we are committed to this cause. And then after I die personally, make sure that my funeral preaches the gospel. Make sure that when those who loved me, knew me, were concerned for me, gathered to mourn for me, you tell them what I believed. In their vulnerable state, where they're thinking, wow, Adrian's dead? and now they're in the house of mourning and they're coming to terms with their own mortality and you tell them what I believed and now we're seeing brethren die and just no funeral no arrangements no opportunity to preach the gospel so just an appeal brethren we're going to die let your family know your your, your wishes and let the gospel be preached let your beliefs be known when you die In part one, not only did we acknowledge the loneliness of seniors, but surprisingly, what we learned was the most lonely demographic are our young people. The most lonely demographic are the people with 5,000 friends on Facebook. It's not real. We need real relationships. And, And pardon me, I don't want to offend anybody. But a virtual Passover is not real. Sitting at home in the comfort of your own company and following the Passover, this is not real. I realize some of us have to do this. We live in the middle of nowhere. There really isn't anybody close by. That's an exception. But to have the ability to be face to face, shoulder to shoulder, washing each other's feet, in reality and to skip that this is a grave mistake so another appeal as we approach Passover ensure that you are taking the advantage of the opportunity to be together in reality with other fellow followers of Christ we can't wash each other's feet virtually and it's an important lesson these Marxist totalitarians hate the family the family gets in the way of the state everything for the state everything in the state nothing out of the state that's the religion of Marxism and they've learned the family gets in the way so they must destroy the family and this whole COVID telling you you know, don't invite your family if they're not vaccinated and people follow this. And telling congregations, don't invite members to, to fellowship if they're not vaccinated. And my contention, brethren, is not the vaccination. And I think it's so clear all of us understand this. The truckers understand this. You need to be vaccinated. That's a decision between you and your physician. That's on you. When you come here, nobody's going to ask you, excuse me, what's your vaccination status? It's irrelevant. When we come together for Passover, vaccination status, irrelevant. Baptism status, that's what we want to know. And so shame on you. Shame on you, any elders out there that prevent brethren from assembling because of vaccination status. Shame on you if brethren are in hotel rooms or at home online while vaccinated brethren gather, shame on you. Disgusting. You'll have to answer to Christ. Some friends pretend to be friends, but a true friend sticks closer than a brother. In part two, I concluded with a speech from President Ronald Reagan. Reagan. Some profound words, he said this, our natural and unalienable rights are now considered to be a dispensation of government, and freedom has never been so fragile, so close to slipping from our grasp as it is at this moment. Sounds like it was written for today. If we continue to accommodate, continue to back down and retreat, eventually we have to face the final demand, the ultimatum, and what then? You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the Pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Let's go to Matthew 16. Because this is our focus, that Christ did not refuse the cross. Christ displayed a level of courage that we need to understand and aspire to. And that's what Passover means to us. It's not just a ceremony. It's not just a ritual. It's a study. It's a rehearsal. It's something that we study to understand what Christ did, how he did it, and how we, should we be called upon to do so, can endure the same level of suffering that he trained his disciples he took the Passover with them and when push came to shove they were crucified they were martyred and they did not back down from the training of the Passover Matthew 16 and verse 20 then charged he his disciples, so this is a period of time where they had come to realize who he is, and then charged he, his disciples, that they should tell no man that he was Jesus, the Messiah. From that time forth began Jesus to show or to reveal unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem. So this is something that he knew that they didn't know. But once they came to understand who he was, then he came to bring, bring them into this revelation, into this understanding. So from that time, once they came to know he was the Messiah, he then began to show or reveal to his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes. Who knew? I, I thought these were our friends. No, we're going to suffer at their hands. And not just suffer, to be killed. And raised again the third day. And we read last week how Paul followed this exact example. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from you, Lord, this shall not be unto you. And so, if we were to say that we must follow Christ's example, what is our response to that? If it be that a Marxist demonic government unleash its hatred for Christ upon us, what's our response to that? Is it, oh, be it far from you. That could never happen to us. We're blessed and protected. Or is it that we're called to follow his example? Peter says, be it far from you, Lord. That should never happen to you. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get behind me, Satan. What's coming out of your mouth? I'm I'm revealing to you the will and the plan of God. You're coming back to me on a human carnal level and defying the will of God and the plan of God. What if the will and the plan of God requires our suffering? Are we going to be on the natural level and say, be it far from us Canadians, Canada, land of abundance, wonderful. Can all of this abundance and freedom be taken away overnight? You betcha. And then what? And then who can we trust? Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense unto me. For you savor not the things that be of God, but those things that be of men. This is the shift that's required. What do we savor? What do we value? Where is our treasure? Is it things that the natural man? It's great that the natural man stands up for his family. It's great that the natural man stands up for his freedom. It's inspiring. But we, we are called to go far beyond that. Are we ready? Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. This is words on a page, but the reality of this is so profound. How do we as human beings wired for survival, wired for self-preservation, how do we deny ourselves? We need to learn through the Passover. If we're going to be his disciple, and Deacon Jan has been speaking frequently lately, and repeatedly lately, about the importance of being a disciple, and making disciples. So if we are to be a disciple of Christ, we must come after him deny ourselves and listen listen, and take up his cross and follow me the word means imitate are we ready to take up our cross and imitate him where did he go he went to the grave are we prepared to go to the grave just like him We're all going to the grave. This is not the question. I'm not not questioning whether or not we're going to the grave. Newsflash, we're all going to the grave. It's how. Can Can we take up our cross, the suffering, the persecution, the crucifixion, and go to the grave just like Christ? This is the question. In fact, this is the command, sorry. For whosoever, no exceptions, it doesn't matter, Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. So all of this fear-mongering of the Marxist governments to get us in this state where we're just panicked that we might die and we'll sacrifice our own children and and, and offer them to Baal because we might die. All of this fear-mongering is putting us in the context of part A of verse 25. We'll do anything to save our lives, to save our skin. And Christ is saying, if we go that route, we're going to lose our lives. If this life is so precious and dear to us that there's nothing we will do or will not do in order to save it, we're lost. We're lost. We need to be in part B That whosoever, no exceptions, could be somebody who's just arrived, just been discipled, gets it, and says, I'm in. And it says, doesn't matter, anybody, versus somebody who's been around for decades, and suddenly is panicked, and full of fear. Whosoever will lose his life, for my sake, shall find it. So we've got to be ready to lay down our lives. In fact, I'll say this. We really can't live until we've laid down our lives. As long as we're holding on to our lives, we're not alive. It's not until we're buried with him, truly buried with him, that then we come to life. That then we're fearless. And then we savor every moment. We come out of the baptismal grave and every moment after that, is a gift. We don't take people for granted. We don't take our family, we don't take our spouses, our children for granted. We don't take our brethren for granted. Because every moment is a gift. Because we died. But as long as we haven't died, and we're going to assert our rights, and our right to life, we're not living, we're truly dead spiritually. So we want to fulfill our purpose, and we want to use this Passover and every other Passover from now on as a very deep, profound, spiritual lesson. We don't just show up, put on our funeral clothes, put on our funeral face, funeral mask, sit down, have a thimble of wine, piece of bread, and then go home and say, oh, God, that's over. Let's now celebrate the feast. And let's come together and have a great potluck. Let's take the Passover as an intense study lesson. We're we're, we're disciples. And we're going to come together this Passover. We want to Christ teach us, reveal to us what is not obvious to the common man, what is not accessible to the natural man. Teach us on the spiritual level what this is when we keep the Passover. So we must take up our cross, and we must follow him. And we must study how he went to the grave. Let's go to Isaiah 53. And so for all of us teaching this Passover, let's make sure that we add this added dimension. That the Passover is a rehearsal. While we're studying the death of Christ, we're rehearsing our own death. While we're studying the suffering of Christ, we're rehearsing our own suffering. And as we contemplate the very bottom of the pit of misery that Christ went to, and as we accept that if called upon, we will go there. Now we can relax. Now when the government says, if you don't behave... I will punish you with the full force of my military. We're like, we've been here before. I I just came from Passover, and I rehearsed this. I'm cool. I'm calm. You do your worst, I'll do my best. Isaiah 53, how did he go to the grave? How did he bear his cross? Surely, verse 4, he has borne our griefs. So he went to the grave bearing our griefs. Can we learn from that? How do we go to the grave? He carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. In other words, if he was alive today, the news would say, Jesus Christ is a Nazi. He's a white supremacist. They would would defame him. And there would be no counter-narrative. All the other versions of any kind of narrative would be shut down and censored. So we just sit there hearing, oh, wow, he was quite the criminal. We need to be ready for that. What they will say about us. But he was wounded. The Truth is, he was wounded for our transgressions, that's Israel. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. The exact opposite is true. And with his stripes, we are healed. So he suffered for us. All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone and have turned everyone to his own way. This is the natural man. We go our own way. Christ, imbued by the Spirit, resisted that. This is this is what Peter would have him do to go his own way. Get behind me, Satan, I'm on a mission for others. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Because he was that perfect sacrifice. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted. So, so we're rehearsing our own suffering. Because he said, take up your cross. And follow me. So we need to study him. To understand how we can follow him. How we can imitate him. What did he do? He was oppressed. Okay, if I'm oppressed. By a Marxist, atheistic government. Totalitarian government. And he was afflicted. Yet, he opened not his mouth. And again, the uh, Convoy 2022. They're, they're influenced by the Bible with, if they don't even realize it. They're doing their best to have a peaceful protest. Which when this Charter of Rights and Freedoms was written, it was influenced by Judeo-Christian principles. That you as an individual have the right to protest peacefully. So they're trying to do that. And joyfully. And they're on the natural level. What about us? He opened not his mouth. This is our rehearsal. Can I do this? Can I do this? When they provoke us, when they aggravate us, can we see the bigger picture? Can we be committed to the bigger picture? And open not our mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. It's so remarkable. It's repeated again. It, it's, it's, it's dumbfounding. This is what happened to him. And he didn't say a word. Because he was committed to a higher purpose. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death again this is our rehearsal can we see ourselves in prison as christians doing right in in solitary confinement with criminals hardened criminals maximum detention why are we there we didn't we didn't kill anybody We don't rape anybody. In fact, people who killed and raped, they're out on the street now. And here we are just wanting to follow the Bible, which is now deemed hate speech, and we're in prison. And how do we conduct ourselves? The answer is, I don't know. I don't know. Pre-Passover, I don't know. Post-Passover, if the lessons really become a part of us and embedded in us, then I know. Because we're going to take up our cross and imitate our master because he had done no violence neither was there any deceit in his mouth let's go to Luke 22 where our brother Landon was for the scripture reading to just understand while he underwent this suffering and he didn't open his mouth what was in his mind what, 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 what thoughts were in his mind as he underwent this suffering. Luke 22 and verse 14. Now the hour has come. So when the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire have I desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. This Passover was so important to him It was a big deal that before he is crucified, before he suffers, that he has this moment of intimacy with a small group. He fed 5,000. He didn't introduce these symbols with 5,000. He was introduced with a small group. And the teaching was in a small group. And the expectation of loyalty was with this small group. And it was, it was a, with a deep lust, have I lusted to have this Passover with you before I suffer. There's, there's lessons I need you to learn before I suffer. For I say unto you, this is the last chance. And I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. That I'm about to do something that is going to symbolize something that you won't fully understand until the kingdom of God, when it's fully fulfilled. And so he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves, small group. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it, symbolizing his body. So he broke it And he gave to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. So, while the prophet Isaiah is astonished at how he went into this suffering without saying a word, here, in Luke's writing, we understand why. He was on a mission. There was a higher purpose. And he revealed this purpose to his disciples. And then he went to the grave, but not before saying, take up your cross and imitate me. So it's going to take us a while to fully understand what he did. But every year, if we treat the Passover as an opportunity to tap into the mind of God, then year upon year, we're going to be in a better position to face whatever's coming. And and I hate to be the bearer of bad news, brethren but something wicked this way comes. We're not in rehearsal anymore. We're not in practice anymore. Now we're in the game. Everything we do from this point forward matters. Verse 20, he says, Likewise also this cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So he was completely committed to his purpose and completely oriented for others, not for himself. And and in our Passover observance, this is the frame of mind that we must develop, that I'm here, and I'm here for you. I'm here, and I'm learning that I have to be willing to sacrifice myself for you. I'm here, and I'm realizing through this process, I'm not more important than you. In fact, I'm going to esteem you more important than myself. And once I've got this Passover frame of mind, I become trustworthy. Adrian's Adrian's been, God forbid, but his will is his will. Adrian's been taken away. He knows where we meet. We now have to meet secretly. Will he tell the authorities? Well, we just came out of Passover. Let's hope the lesson sticks. John 13. Something wicked this way comes. In the book, Live Not by Lies, the people that escaped communism and came to Canada, came to North America, came to the U.S., they're so frustrated with us Because they're saying, it's right in front of our eyes. This totalitarian regime is descending upon us. And we sit here saying, no, no, it couldn't happen in Canada. No way. And they're saying, the very conditions that existed before we went into totalitarian uh, domination, these very conditions exist here today. But Canadians and Americans can't see it. In fact, it's worse, they say. It's worse. Because of technology, this whole digitalization, this digital mirroring of everything, where we're going to be in a a place pretty soon where you get in your car and you push start and it does a retina scan. Are are you in any condition to drive? Oh, and while we do that, just to make sure you're not drunk, let's say, uh, or not tired, while we do that, why don't we just do a scan and see if you've been a spreader of misinformation? See if maybe according to your phone records, you have been associating with anybody that we consider persona non grata, in which case your car just doesn't start. So they see this. They're they're saying this is worse. All the conditions are the same, except there's this technological layer that we have to face as well, which is going to make it if, if the dictators that they suffered under had this kind of technology. This is what we're going to have to face. John 13. Again, part of this lesson of the Passover. He says in verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And that's what he he wanted to, to pass on to them. How to love to the end. A friend that sticks closer than a brother. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he rose from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. This is a small group that he introduced this ceremony. This was not when he was feeding the 5,000. He said, okay everybody, wash each other's feet. This was such a deep, profound lesson that as he had many meals with his disciples and many discussions and many, many lessons with them, that now this is a very deep and profound lesson. Do not put your life, your ego, your status ahead of anyone for whom I am I am about to be crucified, and this is a very profound lesson that must be learned. This this foot washing perspective. After he had washed their feet, and you know, sometimes people. That's what I say as well. Sorry to, uh, just elaborate on this or stick on this point. We love this virtual world; it's fantastic. As I said, we've made friendships, we we've connected with brethren all around the world that we would have never known even existed fantastic but it's vulnerable it can be taken away just like that this uh, GoFundMe they raised 10 million dollars and the government said no Um, tell GoFundMe don't give this money out and GoFundMe said okay you know what that is? that's fascism When, when government and industry collude to oppress, that's fascism. And so we know now that big tech is in collusion with big government. And this platform that we have, it's wonderful. We've shifted to Rumble because they are more open as far as free speech goes for now until the government says, shut that down. So if we're depending on virtual relationships to see us through what's coming we're in big trouble so my appeal to those of you in the virtual world please do all you can to be in a congregation let people know you we're all so this is an amazing congregation that we have we're all so different we're all unique and we all have rough edges and yet we're all fitting together. And over time, the rough edges are being polished. And we're getting tighter. And we understand each other. And we've seen each other over years. We've seen our kids grow up. This is what's needed. This is, these are the bonds that we need to be building. Years upon years of washing each other's feet. And then maybe having a bit of a disagreement. And then having to resolve that so that we can wash each other's feet. And that when the crisis comes and somebody loses their job and needs money needs a place to stay needs food we know that's a hard-working brother they were ill-treated we need to rally and help them or we know that's a lazy brother that brother brought that upon himself he needs to suffer and work it out and go back and apologize because we understand so charity is given with knowledge. And sometimes we have people join us online saying, oh, I'm in this condition, can you send me money? Sorry, we don't know you. And there's many brethren who have the opportunity to be in a congregation and choose not to. And when the crisis comes, and lo, it will come, when the crisis comes, nobody knows you. Yes, it's a bit difficult to be in a congregation. But God puts us in congregations where it pleases Him. And we need to work it out. Philippians 2. Work out your salvation. Together. Work it out. So my appeal to those of you who are online, we can't be here for you. We don't know how long we'll be here. We don't know how long before the collusion between big tech and and government says shut down any counter-narrative. And then we no longer have access to you. You no longer have access to us. Find your way into a congregation. It doesn't matter how small. In fact, sometimes the smaller the better. Because that's where true trust can be built. He says in verse 13 or 12, he says, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me Master and Lord. And this is, this is right. You're doing well, because that's what I am. If then I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet... You also ought to wash one another's feet. You have the Holy Spirit? Get down on your hands and knees and wash the feet of someone else who has the Holy Spirit. And understand who they are and their primacy. How you must esteem them better than yourself. And do that year upon year upon year until it's right down into your DNA. For I have given you an example, I said, take up your cross and follow me. Here's an example that you should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. So we have to do them. I want to just jump to Acts 12. Look at something here. that was a lesson that Christ gave to a small group when you're in a congregation some of these congregations you see them on TV there are 25,000 people who do you trust you show up there's 25,000 people there can you trust them Christ pulled aside a small group and taught them and here in Acts 12 you see the lesson continued after his death in Acts 12 and verse 11 and when Peter was come to himself, he said, so he was in prison, now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me out of the hand of Herod. And from all the expectation of the people of the Jews, so these people really wanted to destroy him, and yet God delivered him. And this is the kind of faith that we have to develop. But we don't know. If, if we are to be destroyed, if we are to perish, oh well, we're in God's hands. But at the same time, we walk by faith, not by sight. And even though everything looks bleak, at the last moment, God can intervene. So that's what happened here. God intervened. And when he had considered the thing, what did he do? Listen. He came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. Okay, why did he go there? Where many were gathered together praying. So imagine that. He's in prison. He's cut off. He's ready to be destroyed following Christ. Last minute, Christ intervenes. He's released. He goes to Mary's house. And when he goes there, she's not alone. There's a small group there praying. Because does it kind of give you the sense that he knew that that's where the small group would be gathered? That's one of the houses where we worship? So there's a small group gathered there, and he goes there. Now, to reinforce this hypothesis that this was a custom, and they were praying there, and he knew to go there, he knocked at the door of the gate. A damsel came to listen named Rhoda, and listen to verse 14. And when she knew Peter's voice, she (laughs) she didn't open the gate for gladness. But the point is, she knew his voice. There's a small group gathering. He knocks. There's a man at the door. This damsel knows exactly who it is. She was familiar with him. So we may find ourselves having to gather in homes, in small groups, building trust, knowing each other, to even where there's a young girl who answers the door, she knows the voice because he's been in the home teaching, praying, and we recognize each other's voices. So I mentioned... Last time, this notion of scenario planning where this oil company wanted us to explore two different scenarios. They called one business class and they called the other tribalism. And either way, they said, if it goes business class and there's this sort of whiz-bang business world, we want to sell oil. And we want to optimize our profitability in that scenario. But we're seeing indications, this is 20 years ago, where everything could go to hell in a handbasket. And there's, it, it, we call this tribalism. And you've got collective squaring off against collective. And if that happens, we still want to sell oil. So take us through a process where we can understand what the game plan is, regardless of the scenario, we can sell oil. Well, we want to have the same type of thinking. That finally, in Canada, we have this massive resistance to government overreach and maybe it will result in our freedom or at least for a time or maybe they will be crushed maybe the government will move in with a force, take their children away from them, say you're harming your children your children are in danger, you're not fit to be a parent, because we know Marxists want to destroy the family so they'll move in and they'll take the children the military will move in and round everybody up who knows and we, we don't just lose our freedom but we completely lose our freedom Could go either way. In any case, we're here to preach the gospel. We're here to share this oil with those who want it, with those whom God is calling. And so we have to have, and that's what um, Passover does for us it allows us to consider worst case scenario and how we will conduct ourselves individually and collectively. I was talking to a client a couple of weeks ago and she had these um strategy games behind her and i said oh so you're and like board games not not uh, computer games and i said oh you're you're a big uh, gamer she said oh yeah our my, our family loves games so i said um, and these are strategy games she said yes i said what's your favorite and she gave me the name i don't remember now and she just raved she said the instructions are so clear my family loves it we play we play for hours at a time i just highly recommend it so i went on uh, Amazon to see what the ratings were, thousands of people rated this highly. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to buy this game. When the kids come over, just a nice family game, and also I want to develop my strategic thinking muscle. So while we're playing, I'm I'm learning to think more and more strategically. So I sort of uh, sent off to the kids, so I'm thinking of buying this game, what do you think? And they came back and they said, I don't think so. He said, I don't think, so they read and they say, the game lasts six to ten hours. And they said, I, we, don't, we don't see you doing this. So I said, six to ten hours? I said, well, wow. Um, anyway, next I sort of started to think about this. And I thought, well, maybe we can play it over a few days. And that could work. So the next time I saw this client, I said, is it true that this takes six to ten hours? She said, oh, sometimes you play up to 15 hours. I said, like, do you take a break? No, no. We started at 10 in the morning, and we went through to, like, 4 in the morning the next day, nonstop. And I'm like, okay, I'm out. (laughs) I don't have the time for that. Um, So we'll see what else we can do. We want to have a lot of games when we have brethren over, when I have our kids over, that uh, we have this ability to make each other joyful, have time, enjoy each other's company. Um, I'm interested, though, in developing strategic thinking muscle. But that's what the Passover does. That's where we sit and we consider this happened to Christ and the instruction to us is to follow him. What does that mean? As the world changes, we can entertain, what does it mean? If you look at this uh, Pastor Art Palowski and how they're treating him, he's been arrested four times. He's in solitary confinement, strip searched, humiliated, treated like a criminal, Worse worse than hardened criminals all because he feeds the poor, preaches his understanding of Christ, and would ref- refuse to close his church because the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. He's the canary in the coal mine. Are you ready? Do, do you think that they hate him specifically? Do you think their hatred is unique to Art Pulowski? Or is it anybody who would dare to resist their powers and authority through Christ. So what about us? Canary in the coal mine. Passover gives us this ability for scenario planning. He says here in John 15, in verse 12, he says, this is my commandment. It's a commandment. There's no wiggle room here that you love one another as I have loved you. Take up your cross and follow me. As I went to the grave, suffering, humiliated, I did it because I loved you. Now you take up your cross and follow my example. Imitate me. Love each other to such an extent that you will allow yourself to be humiliated. You will allow yourself to be insulted. You will allow yourself to suffer. While you maintain this big picture vision of what we've been called to what it is we're doing here, where we're going. And there's such a love that we have one another. We stick closer to each other than our own physical family. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. This is what we're called to. This is why we keep the Passover. This is what we're rehearsing as we take the sacraments and try to penetrate the mind of Christ as he went to his grave, so that we can follow him and have this type of love where we are now willing to lay down our life for our friends. And I, I think what I see in these truckers, they're willing to lay down their lives. I think the government's going to have a hard time. And not all, not all. I think when the government cracks down, you're going to see a lot run. But there's going to be a lot of them that it doesn't matter what the government does. They want freedom, not for themselves, but for the next generation, for all Canadians. We have to exceed this, and we exceed it through this Passover perspective, that there's no greater love than this, that we lay down our life for our friends. Now, you're my friends if you do what I command you. And what did he command us? Take up your cross and follow me. So I'm going to lay down my life for for you, my friends. Take up your cross and follow me. Lay down your life for your friends. Because there's no greater love than that. Verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. So, how is it going, church? you getting along with the world? You just find that YouTube, Facebook, Google, they love you? Probably not doing the right thing. We have no friends with the elite. The global elite are our enemies. They are satanic. They are evil. They are anti-Christ. And they are not our friends. I have no intention to get along with them. I take my instructions from Christ. Come what may. If the world hates you, You know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Take up your cross and follow me. Handle the persecution the way I did. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you, they will do to you for my name's sake because they don't know him that sent me. Let's, go to, let's um, conclude in Colossians. Let's go to Colossians. Actually, we're going to conclude in Corinthians, but uh, a long passage in Colossians and a very short one in Corinthians. Colossians, chapter 2. We're trying to understand how we can have this this greater frame of mind, this frame of mind that is unmovable. And the lessons from Passover to develop that way of thinking. Here in Colossians two and verse one. And just pardon me for saying, I do find it somewhat amusing. If any of us as followers of Christ. Think that the government cares for us. Thinks that big tech cares for us. Thinks that the media has our best interests at heart. Uh, It's not hilarious, but for want of a better word, I find it hilarious. We have no friends with the elite. The friendships that we're looking for, they're right here. You believe in Christ? You're committed to Christ? This, This is the friendship that I'm looking for. This is the love that I'm developing. You don't know Christ? Well, we still love you, but we can't trust you. You are anti-Christ? We pray for you. And there's a lot of tortured souls out there. And you know what, brethren? Unfortunately, the church has damaged a lot of people. Not understanding the true mind of Christ, the church has damaged a lot of children. And they want nothing to do with the church. They hate you've mentioned christ it, they they see red and they're tortured and tormented and they've got to see christ says you know when all men see that you love one, the way you love one another they'll know that you're my disciples and maybe we can win them back through our commitment to christ and to one another and they see something that they, uh, this is not the church that i remember i see how you respect each other how you love each other how you're there for one another I don't, this, my, my church wasn't like this. It was very harsh. It was very destitorial. You know, it was, it was, you know children just had to be quiet and, and I, we just had to lie on the floor. And it was very hostile to children. That's what I remember. And now I come and I, I visit you and I see it's totally different. So maybe we can win back some of these tormented souls. Colossians 2 and verse 1 For I would that you knew, this is his deep wish, Paul speaking to this small group in Colossae. I wish that you knew what great conflict I have for you. This is again the mind of Christ. I'm in great conflict for you. This isn't easy. And for them at Laodicea, so there's a small group at Colossae, there's a small congregation at Laodicea, and I can't read this but, but help but say that when we look at the attitudes and there's this Laodicean attitude, that does seem to be growing in the church. So, word to the wise, we don't want to be like that. But he had conflict for them. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. So they're there building uh, in the flesh. They haven't seen him in the flesh. He's writing letters. And he has conflict A great love for them. That their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love that doesn't happen online that happens in small groups where we get to know each other false and all and we grow this deep commitment for one another as we're doing here and again hopefully for those of you if you're virtual and you can belong to a congregation but you choose not to because it's uncomfortable there you maybe had a bit of a conflict that's not, you're making a mistake. When the crisis comes, and lo, it will come, you will not have developed the relationships that you need. Let's get into these congregations, let's build them, let's resolve our conflicts, Passover to Passover, take the Passover with a clean heart, because we need each other. That their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So this world doesn't understand it, but through the Spirit we're gaining access to these treasures. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you, the word means to deceive, beguile you with enticing words. The the word there, enticing words, is Pithana lo, sorry, pithanologia. Pithanologia. And it means rhetoric. Persuasive words. So, this I'm telling you, to, you know, your heart should be comforted, you need to be knit together in your small groups, in love, understanding these treasuries of wisdom and knowledge. And I'm telling you this, lest you are deceived with rhetoric this book Live Not By Lies outlines the rhetoric that totalitarian regimes use to overthrow populations and we have brethren that have been seduced by rhetoric fancy words in fact he says he he outlines in this book Live Not By Lies how the totalitarian governments the regimes use the cause of social justice to justify their government overreach and we have brethren among us fighting for social justice siding with antichrist to bring about their own oppression we've heard so rhetoric enticing words which are lies two weeks to flatten the curve how's that going Masks will protect you. If you get the vaccine, you won't get the virus and you won't transmit it. You should ostracize your family to be safe. Everyone is dying of COVID. And now it's no, they died with COVID. They didn't die of COVID. This is a virus that is natural. Just happened to spring from monkeys in Wuhan even though there's a lab in Wuhan that was studying gain-of-function and this very virus. Oh, it didn't come from the lab. That's conspiracy. Now we hear, well, maybe it did. But that would have been misinformation. Protesters are violent Nazis, even though they're practicing their their, their, their Charter of Rights and Freedoms. The fringes don't matter, but we have to fight for the rights of the LGBTQ2I plus community. War is peace, freedom is slavery, ignorance is strength. In fact, we've just heard from our prime minister, the way out of these mandates is more mandates. War is peace. You know, we we hope, uh, I've heard people use these taglines to kind of shock people into thinking, to to get them to snap out of their mass formation. My body, my choice. That was big. My body, bodily autonomy. My body, my choice. Now they say every human must be injected. We say my body, my choice. That doesn't resonate. Workers of the world unite. Behold, workers of the world are united. No, no, they're criminals. You must crush them so it just doesn't they, they, they champion these, these phrases these taglines and then when you use these taglines instead of snapping out of it they just ignore it well I've come up with a tagline of my own and I think this is one they can't ignore I hope that everybody will take up placards in, in, in Ottawa and hold up this, 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 this uh, tagline this slogan I think this one will get through are you ready? picture me Unvaxed, black lives matter. Unvaxed, black lives matter. I I think this is like kryptonite. Because they're so big on black lives matter. But what about unvaxed, black lives? Do we matter? I think they'd have a hard time getting out of this one. But like all the others, maybe they'll just ignore it. But I think that could work. Let's go to Colossians 3 and verse 1 If you then being risen with Christ seek those things which are ab- which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God so this is the mindset that we have to have brethren Something wicked this way comes. As Canadians, we've lived very comfortably. It's been an amazing life that we've had. Are you prepared for all of this to be taken away? Because that's where we're heading. Are you prepared for all of your freedom to be taken away? Because that's where we're heading. And Passover is going to give us a chance to rehearse in our mind's eye how we will behave given this scenario. And here's the answer. Once we come out of the baptismal waters, we are risen with Christ. And our interest is in those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. All of us want to be comfortable. All of us want to be surrounded by nice things and nice people. But if that's all taken away, what they can't take away is our vision of the things that are with Christ. And the treasures that we have with Christ. And this is what we have to develop, brethren. That when they threaten us, that we, you know, I will take away your truck. I will take away your children. I will put you in jail. If we're standing for Christ, do all of those things. Because we've already rehearsed it in our mind's eye. Why? For you are dead. We took the Passover, we were baptized, and then we were reinforced by Passover. To understand that we are dead. And our life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. This is what we're looking for. This is our orientation. And we're ready for anything. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which thing's sake, the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience. Now, this verse 6 is the problem that we have with the freedom convoy. Wonderful that they're demonstrating courage. Wonderful that they're standing up for the rights of all Canadians. But to what end? What have we done with our freedom? And should they be successful in securing our freedom, what will we do with it? but go back to our fornication go back to our sodomy go back to our theft and unless we repent of these things freedom doesn't matter but for us we have to be working these things out of our lives which it says here in verse 7 in the which you also walked some time when you lived in them let's conclude over in First Corinthians 11 I did want to pick up just verse 13 here just saying forbearing one another forgiving one another this is small group intimacy you have to know each other to forbear one another you have to be with each other to forbear one another and forgive one another if any man have a quarrel against any even as Christ forgave you so also do you so by taking the Passover we understand how Christ forgave us and now we can forgive anyone so these small groups are critical, and what uh, Live Not by Lies, Rod Dreher, demonstrates, is when the totalitarian systems crack down on everybody, people survived, Christians survived, because they were in small groups. They were organized in small groups that they could trust. And that's why we need to be doing that now. We can't show up at the last minute in a crisis and, and think that people can trust us and know us. We've got to be developing these relationships now. First Corinthians chapter 11. So we have the opportunity now to speak the word of God plainly and boldly but to do that we have to have courage. Passover teaches us how to have courage because we're dead. And anything now above the grave is a gift. But we're dead. We have no expectation in this life. Passover also teaches us commitment to one another to be in small groups, to forsake not the assembly of ourselves together and to value this through the Passover. So we want to develop, brethren, through Passover and the lessons a deep and passionate commitment to one another, knowing that you won't live by lies and I won't live by lies. Let their rule hold, but not through me. And if we have dysfunctional congregations, Let's work on on building healthy, functional congregations. That's what Paul did with the Corinthians here in 1 Corinthians 11, a very dysfunctional congregation. And he used the lessons of the Passover to steer them to the right track. In verse 23 he says, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you. Take up your cross and follow me. I learned what he did, how he took up his cross. I followed him and now I'm showing you what he showed me. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. His, his frame of mind was so far above the natural world that even though he was about to suffer excruciating pain, he took bread as a symbol of his suffering and he divided it among the small group and said, this is for you. And, and this is what Passover does. It, it exercises these spiritual muscles that we can put ourselves in the same position. That the very night we know we're going to be betrayed, we understand we're not here for ourselves. We're here for each other. And when he had given thanks, he was grateful. And he gave thanks. He broke it, symbolizing his broken body, what he he was about to suffer. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So this is our opportunity, brethren, to develop this frame of mind. How are we doing? How would we evaluate ourselves? We've certainly grown over the... Murray, is it almost nine years? or Is it nine years? Nine years. In, weeks. in a couple of weeks. Oh. Brethren, in a couple of weeks, we've been building this congregation for nine years. And we've grown. But have we fully realized our potential? What can we do individually to contribute to the full realization of the potential of this congregation. Verse 31. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. So God only wants us to be conformed to Christ. We can do it ourselves, we can figure it out ourselves, but even if we don't, God is not going to abandon us. He's going to chastise us so that we can be conformed to the mind of Christ. Therefore, my brethren, this small group, although you're dysfunctional, here's how you can get over this dysfunction. When you do come together to eat, prioritize each other. Wait for the the lowliest isn't here yet, we have to wait. Because we esteem them greater than ourselves this is the solution, this Passover frame of mind. And then he goes into verse 12, sorry, chapter 12, to teach this dysfunctional congregation the value of gifts and how the gifts are distributed among different brethren. And why they need each other because no one person has all the gifts. But they need all the gifts to fulfill their purpose. And so wait for each other prioritize each other, and value each other, and look for the gifts in each other, and work together. I want to go back to the article of Marinella, 70 years old, sitting at her table, died, nobody knew, nobody cared. They didn't find out until their lives were in danger and they had to knock on her door and she's in a mummified state. There's an epidemic of loneliness. It works for the Marxists because the, you're a population that's separated is easy to control. When you see this convoy in Ottawa right now, that is terrifying. They're coming together They're hugging each other. They're singing. They're happy. We can't have this. We need them like Marinella watching CNN and terrified. But how this article concludes is is deep. The mind that this uh, journalist had to conclude the article, he says this. The mystery of Marinella's invisible life behind the closed gate of her cottage teaches us a terrible lesson. The real sadness is not that the others did not notice her death. It is that they did not realize Marinella Baretta was alive. The tragedy was not that they didn't notice her death, it's that nobody noticed that she was alive. Let's take this to a spiritual plane. Are you in a congregation that recognizes your spiritual life? Are you in a congregation that enables you to contribute your spiritual gifts? Or are you alone the way the state wants you to be? Remember when we started. The lion that was surrounded by hyenas and did its best to fend them off and then gave up. It was about to be eaten alive until another lion came and together they warded off the hyenas. We're going to need each other to ward off these hyenas. Let's prepare now to build bonds with each other, to build the mindset of Christ. Let us through the Passover build friendships where we know not only that we have developed friends that will stick closer than a brother, but maybe more importantly that we will be the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Brethren online, thanks so much for joining us. Let's all pray so we can say goodbye to our brethren online and continue the service here. I ask you to stand, brethren. Loving Father, great God Almighty, our Creator, the architect of this entire universe, and the architect of this tremendous covenant plan that we have been grafted into. We thank you so much, Father, for this role of first fruits. But we are concerned, Lord, because the Lord himself said, when he returns, will he find faith on the earth? Help us, Father, to develop this faith that is so precious that you want to give to us. Give us this faith and this wisdom, Father. And help us in these small groups that you've blessed us with, these congregations, to do all we can to to develop healthy, loving, committed congregations that have the courage of Christ and also the love, the agape love, that we would never have someone who dies alone and worse, that nobody even knows had spiritual life in them. Bless us, Lord God. Help us not to be seduced by the elite of this world. Rather, allow us to humble ourselves, to condescend to men of low estate, and to give all we have to you, to Christ, and to each other. Thank you, Father. We bless your holy name, and we ask you, Lord, to bless all of our brethren who tune in online and bless the rest of our service now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.